Welcome, one and all, to the Nick Delamini episode of the Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, Nick is one of the most inspirational riders on the planet. From a very humble upbringing in the townships of Cape Town, South Africa, he essentially started out with nothing. But now, he rides at the highest level with South Africa's only World Tour team. Pretty remarkable stuff. Nick's had more than his fair share of bumps on the road, but any time I've met him, he's always had a very big smile on his face. But, all that taken into consideration... The big question is this, just how well does he know his penguins? It's about time we found out. So grab a cuppa, kick back, stick your feet up and enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevenson unplugged by Sinus Nick Lamini rides for UCI World Tour Team Quebec at Assos. And when you consider where Nick has come from and his upbringing, it really seems like a serendipitous match. Having grown up in the townships of South Africa, Nick really understands the value that a bicycle can bring to an underprivileged life. A talented climber, Nick has won the mountains classifications at the TOB, that's the Tour of Britain, and the Tour Down Under, that's the TDU. And he recently came third in his national road championships. But what are his goals for the rest of the 2021 season? What is the development scene like in South Africa currently? And just what role did the num-num fruit play in his early training days? Check it out. Nick, um, great to have you on board. We had a few technical issues, but um, I'm in London. You're in South Africa. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Matt. Um, yeah, I think it's cool uh, to finally do this um, this interview. I think uh, I mean, we, we, we spoke about it last year, so um, yeah, it's good to um, have it happening now. We did indeed. I, we did meet, didn't we, in a near near Hampton Court Bridge. You were out on your bike. I was ha- I was having a bit of time off my bike because I broke my rib yeah. crashing. Yeah. <laughs> how's that? How's that feeling? By the way. Oh mate, um, it's, it's a lot better, thanks. But I I couldn't even jump on Zwift for a month. It was so painful. Um, so it was the most embarrassing crash. I've ever had in my life, but I'm very well, <laughs> thanks, mate. I'm I'm very very well indeed. But uh, more important, more importantly, mate, before we before we crack on with the pod, what, what what we like to do at the start is just to get the guest to explain, tell us where in the world we are. We know you're obviously in South Africa, but and then tell us where you are and describe what you can see around you in the room that you're in, if you don't mind, please, Nick. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, right now I'm basically um, in my apartment in Cape Town. So I've been in Cape Town for a couple of days, actually a couple of weeks. Sorry, um, yeah, enjoying the the last couple of sunny days and spending time with family. Um, yeah, so I've also got a, a two month um, old son, so I'm spending a bit of time with him before I leave uh, back to Europe. Congratulations, so, mate! Congrats. Yeah, no, thank you. So um, yeah, I've got I've got him um, yeah in front of me sleeping and. Uh, yeah, and I've got a got a nice view on, uh, on the left hand side of my room. I get to see a bit of Table Mountain, which is an iconic um, mountain in Cape Town. And um, yeah, just uh, just a quiet room. Um, wife is uh, busy doing her own thing in the in the bedroom. Great stuff, mate. And have you, have you been out for a bit of a, a bit of a spin this morning? I was actually out this morning. Started quite early. Um, had a nice early day. Went up Chappies and. Um, Sort of uh, turned around, so it was uh, kind of a recovery day today. Very nice. So um, yeah, I did a sort of a different route. I never normally go that way, so I actually went up Chappies, 
Um, came back and uh, did a bit of climbing. Actually, we got a puncture while I was out, but luckily I actually had the sealant. So, um, yeah, I just had to um, yeah put a few, few more bars and, um, and off I went. So I didn't have to play YouTube or anything, so it was pretty cool. That's pretty, I must admit, I mean... The jury's out for me on tubeless a little bit because I haven't really got my head around kind of changing them properly. But saying that, I had a the bike I was riding last a couple of months back had a puncture, and I didn't realise I was running tubeless because I, I get given the bikes by Sigma, and all this kind of I was sitting having a coffee in Windsor, and all this stuff, all this milky stuff started to squirt out, and I thought, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? <laughs> and then and then it just sealed itself. So I was like, yeah. right, I was like, okay. So I just gave it a few more little pumps, and that was it. So it was, it's, it's pretty, they're pretty cool, aren't they? Yeah, that's really cool. Like, I, I mean, I've also been trying it for the first time now. Like, it, it, I don't know, uh, you, you're probably the, the same as me. Like, you know, where it basically takes you a bit of time to eventually get uh, get used to something. So, um, yeah, I was very skeptical about it, and I thought I'd actually give it a try. But um, I must say, I'm pretty, um, yeah impressed with it so um yeah i'll probably start rolling more often now <laughs> fair enough mate fair enough. well while we're kind of talking about the here and now i mean you've uh you've had a bit of racing all, already this season um how did that kind of go if you got oh no you got a bronze medal in the in the road championships that looked like a really really tough race it looked like it was really split up at the end yeah i mean um yeah obviously i've uh, been doing specific work uh, leading up to the champs i thought i'd come to europe do a bit of racing and um you know, get a bit sharpness uh, out of the racing. But, um, yeah, I mean, coming down for national champs and, uh, and racing, obviously this year was um, a little different than all the other years. You know, yeah. sort of um, going to nationals, didn't have much support uh, in terms of um, a follow-up follow vehicle and, um, you know, to basically change bottles. And, um, and I mean, if, even if I got a puncher, you know, it would have been, um, would have been a different story. But, um, yeah, so I, I, had, I had to basically carry everything. It was quite hot. It was yeah. quite hot. So um, obviously not having enough bottles. And um, the race, I mean, it was on 70 cases um, with a lot of wind, you know, like all those small things, you know. It, it sort of like towards the end of the race, I started running out of food. So, you know, I basically had to try and, um, you know, sort of work out how much food I was going to need and sort of like, Gave some of my bars to um, another development club. Yeah. But obviously, like they, they lost all their riders quite early in the race, so um, they didn't really um, get to be in the race for any longer. So yeah, so I, I couldn't I couldn't see them at any point in the race. So so it was more like a nutritional kind of race where basically um, must have lost. Um, uh, well, I can actually really blame that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good race. It was a good race. Um, I felt I felt pretty good as well um, going into the race, and obviously with sort of like a puncture finish, it actually worked in my favour. Um, but yeah, I sort of like got um, got caught off guard in the last couple of k's, um, leading into the the finish, where actually um, there was sort of like a gap, um, a couple of a couple of meters in front of me, where I actually had to close the gap. Yeah. Uh, to Billy Smith and uh, Mark Gritson. Yeah. So um, yeah, closing the closing that gap actually costed me quite a lot of effort, and uh, basically getting to them and then trying to accelerate, and actually didn't get any time to quickly recover. 
right. and get myself ready uh, for a sprint within 400 meters to go. So, um, yeah, I was quite toasted there. So, um, yeah, to settle in for third. But, um, yeah, it was just sort of like a small mistake that actually costed me the, the win. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was still third. You know, I think it's better than uh, walking away without nothing. Oh, definitely. It's always nice to have a podium spot. No. And of course, you'd had you'd ridden down in the Tour, Tour de la Provence at the start of the year, Le Samin just afterwards. I mean, um, just I was commentating on Tour de la Provence and that was such a good race. I mean, it was action-packed all the way. And of course, after stage three, after only two days of breaking yourself in, you're up Mont Ventoux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, did you, how did you find that race? I mean, obviously, obviously it's a essentially the same team, but a, a kind of new feel to the team as well, new teammates and stuff. But how did uh, um, kind of the race go in general? And, and what was it like, you know, racing up Mont Ventoux on uh, day yeah. three of your of your <laughs> of, of the season? <laughs> no, I mean, Matt, I think you, you, you'd, you'd know um, racing has, has changed quite a lot these days, you know. Yeah. We, we don't have the easier races anymore, you know. Every race these days count and... Um, yeah, I guess also like with um, with the pandemic, um, it's basically sort of uh, made people realize that um, basically take every opportunity there is. So um, yeah, I mean the the, the world the, the race itself um, was yeah was very close enough to a world tour event. Yeah. Um, looking at the names that were down there, you know, there was quite a strong field. So every day uh, was basically really hard. I mean, even the first day uh, where we expected like sort of like a relaxed day. Even though it was super windy, we obviously had Philippe and a few other guys attacking um, 40Ks uh, to the finish. And yeah. obviously that um, put some stress in the race. But um, yeah, going up uh, Mont Ventoux was obviously my first time. So, you know, I've watched it a couple of times on TV. And um, and I have to say it looks very different when, when we're actually doing it. You know? Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, I, w- I was quite thrilled to to, to get to do it um, instead of just uh, seeing it on TV. Um, and yeah, she's just looking at the the, the times. Uh, some of the GC guys did going up there was uh, incredibly fast. Um, but yeah, I think uh, racing is basically getting faster and faster each and every year. Yeah, it, it does seem to me. I think that the the amount of riders that I, I kind of speak to. And, and obviously, we're all kind of reading um, articles about about the speed, the pace of racing, how many young riders are coming to the fore. Uh, even we talk about the way the sport has changed over 10 years, but I think even in the last two or three years, it's changed dramatically. And you've obviously been at riding at world tour level for that time. So just in this small period of time, we've seen this massive shift and massive change, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, looking at a race like uh, Tour Down Under, uh, for instance, where, you know, it's very early in the year, um, so a lot of guys would sort of like still be relaxed at that time, you know, because it's still early in the season. Most of the guys are looking to sort of like be really in good condition, sort of like uh, March, April, May um, and onwards. But, you know, like these days, tour down under, like guys are really serious, you know, like everyone's really focused, you know, no one, no one actually stopped for copyrights these days. You know, so it's not like. Uh, <laughs> oh no, I, I I don't think I could be a pro these days, then, mate. Not without a coffee. Not without a coffee stop. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange. You know, like um, yeah, I, th- I think um, everyone is really um, focusing uh, on the racing and obviously the upcoming races they've got. So um, yeah, it's it's big change. You know, the speeds are really high, and um, 
Yeah, and, and just the, the, the racing dynamics have changed. You know, I think um, a few years back, you wouldn't have guys attacking 70Ks to go. You know, now you, you never know. Some guys attack 70Ks to go, 80Ks to go. You know, there's basically obviously nothing holding them back. You know, they just open the race um, whenever they feel like opening it. So there's no, we don't have that waiting um that waiting game anymore so um yeah i think racing has um really stepped up in the last couple of years and, and what about kind of personally for you towards the back end of, of last year let, let's make make no bones about it it was um the team was looking like it was going to fold but but thankfully due to the obviously the work behind the scenes with doug Ryder, um assos stepping up uh, and quebecer obviously staying you know as, as the essentially the heart of the team You've you've got a contract. You've got some. You've got a, a real interesting roster of riders, and the team has really hit the ground running. I mean, not just in terms of the results, but you know, you talk about racing aggressively. I don't think I've, I've ever seen the team race so aggressively. Um, almost as if it is the kind of last day of term, or it's kind of the last race of the year. It's really good to see. I mean, I mean, considering the relatively small budget the team's got, um, the riders are kind of uh, giving so much value and sit the seeming. It, there seems to be a really nice mix of riders. You seem to be getting on really, really well as a unit. Uh, yeah, I mean, Matt, um, no, honestly, uh, obviously, when uh, when we got towards the end of the season last year with uh, no title sponsor, and um, yeah, it was sort of like left in, dark, in darkness, you know, like not knowing what um, what lies ahead, um, if the team is going to carry on or, or, yeah. So, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing to sort of like, uh, think about you know because um, yeah I mean if, if, if you imagine uh, the team not getting on there would be about plus minus 70 people that would be um, without a job you know? yeah so um, yeah I think everyone was kind of stressing and I mean getting to Walter and racing Walter and seeing obviously how um, most of the guys there were racing uh, all to find out, like half the peloton doesn't have contracts for the next year. So yeah. if you basically said there was quite a lot of stress in the peloton. Um, so you know, obviously that was um, quite a you know quite a hard pull to swallow. To swallow. And um, yeah, I mean, just uh, when we got the news uh, from Doug that obviously the team was going to carry on, and Essos uh, basically stepped in and. Um, and sort of rescued the team, you know, I think that sort of um, put everyone's mind at ease, you know, knowing that, okay, um, and I've got something to look forward to. Um, and obviously, just having 17 new riders um, yeah. brought a different <laughs> dynamic to the team, different culture, you know, and um, yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the nice thing about it, um, I think I got to witness this in the training camp as well, that... Um, there, we, we don't have any rock stars in the team, you know. Yeah. There's no one that has that rock star mentality, you know. Everyone is there. Everyone is basically purpose-driven. We're racing for the same goal. Um, and obviously, you know, um, supporting Kobeka uh, as well, you know. So, it, it actually, I think also it, it makes it, it, makes it um, easier when you sort of, like, understand um, your teammates' um, purpose and obviously, like, Having, having the same goal that everyone is sort of like working towards. Um, yeah, I think it sort of put everyone at ease. You know, I've, I've spoken to some of the, the, the new guys on the team and um, and actually some of them have been professionals for quite a long time. Yeah. And um, to basically hear them saying like, look, 
um, this is a great environment. I've never been in an environment like this before where I just feel happy. You know, we are basically going the race and basically really, uh, really race hard. And I mean, you must have seen in the in the last couple of races we we've we've done the team was basically racing aggressively, uh, racing from the front. You know, because um, yeah, I mean, some of the things we spoke about at the camp was you know to, to be able to win the race you need to be in front yes that's basically yep. the key you can't win the race from the back so um you have to be in the front race aggressively and then show a presence you know and um so that's basically um one thing we basically all um try and work towards to basically race um go out and then show our presence and uh, and fight for the for the same goal and um yeah and hopefully we can keep doing the same uh, thing we're doing now, and um, yeah, and obviously have uh, some more interest in, uh, in sponsors. No, definitely. I mean, when you, I mean, just in terms of the kind of season that's yet to come, and we've just so April the first today. You've you've done a reasonable amount of racing. What is next on the uh, on the racing agenda for you? Uh, so for myself, I've got um, tour Alps coming up. All right. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So that's my next race, and then I've got um, uh, the Arctic, the Arctic Tour of Norway. Arctic Race uh, of Norway. Yep. Yeah. And then I've got that, and um, yeah, and then I think I've got um, there's another tour. Just I uh, just have to try and think of the name, and then I've actually got another sort of a bit of a gap. Um, I think a three, three or four week gap before my next block of racing. So, um, yeah, so racing is, uh, is a bit scattered. And obviously some of the races were postponed um, yeah. in May, I think. So I think we're going to have a, a busy May, which I'm uh, really looking forward to. And then, um, and then obviously, Walter later in the year. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah, that's where I actually want to um, try and make, um, you know, um, yeah, good use of myself and get some good results uh, in the Walter getting a few breakaways and um, and try and hunt for a stage win if I can. And, um, yeah, and obviously in July there's Olympics. So there's also another thing that I've got my eyes on. Um, South Africa has got three spots. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done a rude rake on uh, two years ago in Tokyo. Okay. And what, what yeah, did you think? Well, what did you think of it? I mean, as a as a as a decent climber, you uh, and an, I, well, I haven't seen the course, but I've read about it. It looks pretty punchy, doesn't it? It's a tough course. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough one. It's really going to be a tough uh, tough course, you know. Um, the the climb sort of like is forty k's um, forty k's to go. It's a four. It's about four k's or just over four k's, and it's quite steep, Matt. Uh, it's it's quite steep, really steep, and. Um, yeah, you know, it's sort of like, I think it's really going to depend on, obviously, the strategies from other teams and, um, you know, like what they want to do. And, you know, I kind of see I kind of see a group going and it's sort of like, depending on how big the group is, it might stay away. Um, or depending if other teams sort of like bring guys that can actually just ride tempo, even if um, the best climbers attack. Maybe just have a few guys in the bunch that will sort of like just keep tempo and then um, just to try and minimize the gap, getting to yeah. the top and then bring them down again. You know, when you get to the to the bottom, you still have um, a good 35 k's um, to go where you can actually try and close the gap. And um, yeah, maybe try to uh, go for the sprint there. So um, it's yeah, I think it's 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 a, it's a nice course, but it, obviously it's going to be hard given the. Um, 
uh, the laps we we have to do and uh, the distance. Um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, it'll be nice to 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 be there and represent South Africa and the team. You know, I think um, that would really mean a lot. Oh, definitely. So the, the tour. I mean, I'm. It's funny you're riding the tour. Not funny, but it's. Uh, I'm commentating for Eurosport on on Tour of the Alps, so I shall expect oh, you. Nice. I'll actually <laughs> added pressure, mate, to get in a breakaway um, and and go for <laughs> a stage win. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to. I mean, Hopefully, the weather will be good. Yeah, last the last couple of years that I've uh, commentated on it, it's actually been quite good weather. But as as you know, in in that area of of, uh, of well, it's kind of in the borders, isn't it, of Austria and uh, and Italy? Yes. It's a beautiful, beautiful, relatively new race, um, but really tough. And a lot of rides, yeah, of course. Um, have Have you ridden it before? No, no, no. Um, so I'm really excited to to do it. Um, I've I've watched it on on TV, and um, yeah, I remember watching uh, Teo and um, and some of the Ineos Grenadiers guys uh, racing. Ah, oh, so uh, Pavel Sivakov, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, yes. They're actually, that year, I think it was two years ago. Yes. Where they were doing really well. So, um, yeah, actually, when, when they were doing good that year, I thought I'd actually really like to do the tour, you know, because we've, we've been racing together from the under 23 years. So, um, yeah, I thought it would be nice uh, to do it. So I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff, good stuff. I mean, last time we met, apart from me getting the tiny violin out, and uh, talking to you about my about my broken rib, <laughs> um, we, uh, I was asking you about how your how your arm is after that awful incident back in 2019. Now, wasn't it in December 2019? It seems a long, long time ago now, Nick. But how? It yeah, I mean, it's what we now we're you know a third of the way through 2021, and it does seem like an eternity. I think in many ways it's almost like 2020 didn't happen. But in relation to your arm, how is it? Because I know you've had a plate inserted, and you were still you know doing a fair bit of physiotherapy how's your arm now yeah i know uh to be honest now though that the arm is um i would say 90 percent um yeah. but yeah i mean it, it's recovered and um, i can sort of like hold the bars um swiftly now without um having any major pain but um yeah i'm still i'm still doing um scar tissue release um while i'm not while i'm here in cape town and um, yeah, and obviously I've actually done a few races in Europe now. Um, actually, the one-day races, and most of them had cobbles. Um, oh yeah, of course, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, it, it doesn't really um, like cobbles. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just never too too happy with cobbles. So um, yeah, I guess the, the vibration and um, the sort of the speed you sort of hit the cobble. Uh, so at the end of the race, it's sort of like. Um, be painful and obviously i still feel it a few days after the race so um but yeah other than that um it's it's functioning pretty well and um and just the recovery you know i think it it actually recovered much much better than i thought Um, i mean in march i was already um on the bike being able to break um yeah being able to break and sort of like hold my bike with one arm um so um from there i thought um there's good progress but um yeah it's um yeah it's 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 working well it's working well but um i, I still have the plate on um, right you know and um and there's obviously like um uh, sort of down with my elbow you can actually see the plate uh, it's it's quite showing so okay. um you know i always have to be careful when um when racing and um and obviously crashing, I always have to try and save and save my elbow. 
Yeah. Um, cool. You know, because I mean, if I if I crash on the elbow, then obviously the plate will be outside, and then that will be quite a mission to to get into. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you did show me, and it, like like you said, it is you know it is it is pretty pretty visible. Is that something that you will have to have permanently, or are you hoping at some point to get that removed? Um, to be honest, uh, it, it is quite a mission. I think also the surgeons don't really want to go into into that part of my arm uh, just because of the nerves and the vessels um, in that area. You know, they're very sensitive. So um, you know, like a, even a small mistake can basically um, on the arm and uh, the whole arm wouldn't work right so um yeah they they don't really want to go in there but um if it really bothers me um then i would have to take it out but um at this point of time it's it's not really bothering bothering me much i mean i can basically do everything that i was able to do before my arm broke um so um yeah i think i think i'll i'll, I'll keep it on uh, for I think for a few few more years and then uh, but I will eventually take it out, but um, obviously like with the season and, and everything I always have to sort of like um, look at the season and play around it and see like if I can sort of get a gap because obviously if I do take it out that would mean I'll have to be out of action for another three months so yeah, um, yeah. Right. and obviously like with the with the season now like some of the races um, being cancelled. And so, and then obviously now the new the season actually started. I think a little bit earlier. Normally, yes. I'd only start racing in Europe in March. Okay. And uh, this year already in February already racing. So um, yeah, I think I'll just have to find the perfect gap uh, to do it. I mean, just to change tact um, completely, Nick. I mean, you're riding for Africa's Africa's team. 20, 27 riders on the squad this year. I think there is. Yeah, twenty seven riders. Um, a super international flavor to the team and as you said a lot of experience there um but only two south african riders and, and you're the only black south african rider on the team and you're only, the only black south african rider on on the world tour circuit when you look at racing in south africa and i was just looking back through the results of the national championships as we just talked about that you were on the podium what are the opportunities like in south africa for young black athletes wanting to make the step up nick is it still very very hard are there are there those kind of opportunities still there have things got worse have things got better can you give us a, a kind of sense of the opportunities for young black athletes wanting to try and aim to be a professional cyclist uh she's met that's actually quite an interesting topic i can actually talk about for, for, for quite a long time hmm. um yeah no honestly uh it's it's getting worse it's really getting worse and uh, it, it actually it actually worries me a little bit right um just to to think of it you know like Growing up, obviously, um, I already had Songhezo riding on, to, on, on the World Tour team. Yeah. Um, and obviously, when he was in the team, I was still in the, in the continental team. And, you know, I actually thought, okay, perfect. Songhezo's in the team. Uh, I'm there as well. At least I've got someone to, to speak um, my mother tongue to, you know, which is yeah. awesome. And, and obviously, uh, when, when he stepped down, then obviously, like, that, that meant I was going to be the only um, black South African in the circuit. And, you know, it's obviously quite a, quite a difficult difficult one, you know, like not having to, to speak my own language for quite a long time when I'm in Europe. Um, you know, I actually thought about it and uh, and maybe thought like, you know, maybe there, there will be someone that will come up the ranks and then uh, eventually get onto our continental team or 
find something in Europe. And then, you know, I think that would make me feel better and also I think is good for South Africa and cycling South Africa to sort of have more black South Africans coming into the international circuit and, um, yeah, and just sort of like showcasing the talent. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, we, we don't, we don't, we don't quite have the, the opportunities these days um, to obviously showcase the, the, the talent and the potential these um, youngsters have, especially yeah. the guys from the townships. Yeah. Because, they, one, they, there's no racing in Cape Town. Sure. Absolutely no racing. Actually, not even in Cape Town, in South Africa. There's just not enough races. Okay. And without racing, you're basically, you know, it becomes difficult for anyone to showcase their talent and, and sort of like, be seen you know and obviously funding is another story for the for the clubs um you know we, when i started cycling it was much easier you know i only had to pay a hundred rand which is about six pounds yeah i think it's about six pounds or maybe five pounds okay uh, as a joining fee for the whole year and I, and I and i got to get a bike and a cycling kit you wow. know i didn't have to buy a bike because obviously my parents at the time couldn't uh, afford a bike and um, but now we don't have that platform where you just basically join a cycling club and get a bicycle and get cycling kit. Nowadays, you basically you, you need to have your own bike to join a club and basically get a cycling kit there. You know, so um, that's where the difficulties um, come in. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been uh, spending a bit of time with uh, you know with the grassroots level um, guys. Uh, yeah. Well, I went to see them actually yesterday in Maspumilelia, sort of like uh, post uh, uh, bar there to say hi after school. And I actually saw them training and um, and obviously they, they basically got uh, mountain bikes. And you basically see see them riding. It was actually quite a lot of girls, okay, which I was good. happy to see, you know, yeah. young, young girls, you know. And I actually thought to myself, it'd be nice to see them. You know, obviously they had the grassroots level. So it'd be nice to see them, you know, like sort of really um, focusing on cycling and, um, and you know, where we can basically have uh, black South African, um, you know, girls racing on the international circuit um, and basically also showcasing their talent in Europe. I think um, it'd be nice to see them joining Ashley, you know. Of so course, yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I think that would be a life-changing experience for them. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there, there's quite a lot that can be done. But also, I think um, with each and every year, you know, that gap is growing uh, bigger and bigger, which is um, which is actually what is worrying me. You know, yeah. Um, just looking, just looking back, um, I, there, there's really no one that sort of like is coming up. I mean, I mean, in my under 16 years or junior years, there was a lot of guys you could see like, okay, this guy is another is another big uh, talent that's coming in. So uh, it's not going to take long until you can see him on, uh, on the international circuit. But now it's really hard to keep track of those things if there's no racing. You know? Yeah, so, of course. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's just so much that can be done, but um, which is understandable because also, I mean, we, there's been a pandemic um, that's obviously um, closed off a lot of opportunities and funding. So um, I think we can also expect to... A, a delay, you know, or, or that gap to sort of grow a little bigger um, until obviously the whole pandemic and Corona can sort of like um, be let let things be normal. Yeah, and um, and obviously um, 
they can be you know um, accessible funds to sort of um, uh, organize events and uh, let these guys race Let, let's hope so i mean one of the things that's on the horizon not obviously for south africa but for the african continent which will be the first time we'd, we'd ever had it is um is the rwanda bid for the 2025 world road championships and uh, and they put a serious bid in. It's Kigali is the, is the capital, isn't it, that have, that have put the bid in. Um, yeah. I think it was in 2019 they put the bid in. And we will know at the end of this year, 2021, when the Worlds are, are in Flanders, of course, just uh, not too far from, from where I am. But uh, yeah. we'll know whether Rwanda has got the Worlds. I mean, and that will be a monumentally important um, um, thing to happen. I mean, fingers crossed it does. I think there's a lot apparently of work still to be done. But for African cycling in in general, um, it would be amazing if that were to happen because obviously you've already got the Tour of Rwanda, which is an astonishing race. So I'd love to be up close and see that. Some of the imagery I've seen from that race is kind of quite quite moving, really, isn't it? To see how the people get behind the riders and how much they love love the sport. But um, what are your thoughts on on Rwanda's hopes to get the championships? I think I think it would be absolutely um, uh, phenomenal. Uh, to have the the world champs in Rwanda in Africa, you know, I think I think that would mean a lot for uh, cycling in Africa and the development. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it would sort of like open up um, most of the guys' eyes, you know, um, because I mean, we we obviously get to race with a lot of guys in Europe, and um, you know, they, but they don't know or haven't seen what it's like in Africa, you know, how people live and the backgrounds people come from. So I think, um, yeah, if Rwanda can actually have them, I think it would be um, a life-changing experience for most of the European um, riders, you know, just basically being in Africa and um, and actually realizing that um, even the hotel you're sleeping at um, is not one of the toppest hotels. It's probably like the, the worst place you've slept, uh, slept in. And um, they basically just show like, uh, what Africa is like, but yeah. um, I think it, it would actually, yeah, really mean a lot to basically host them in uh, in Africa. I think we've had world champs in South Africa a few years. No, actually, no, I think a long time ago. Junior, junior under twelve. No, I think only juniors. I think there was a junior world in South Africa, uh, maybe ten, fifteen years ago, something like that. You're you're right, yeah. Yes, and I think also, um, but obviously the the story is really different uh, back then. But I think uh, now it's sort of like really open uh, people's eyes. And uh, I think um, it sort of change, um, how, change how Europeans see Africans. You know? Just being able to see uh, where Africans come from and the kind of background they, they come from. You know? I think, um, yeah, I think that would be something really cool for them to see. Yeah. I mean, f- for me, um, a couple of years ago now, it was back in... 2018 and it was um, towards the back end of 2018 it was your first year with the team and it was the training camp and you remember me coming down for the Zwift Academy uh, and doing some rides with you guys I mean that that was the first time I'd ever been to South Africa and I was blown away on many levels really which is a kind of another another conversation Um, but the fact that I got to go with the team and, and the members of the staff and also the people from Zwift to go into the townships um, and give and give the bikes to the kids. Um, I can honestly tell you, Nick, that was one of the most profoundly moving and and um, kind of difficult but wonderful experiences in my in my life. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. 
especially the look on the kids' faces. We gave the bikes. It was just, and many of them had never even got on a bicycle for the first time. So there was a few kids who could ride, but then some of them were like learning on that school playing field. And um, I think it is worth, you know, you're, you're riding for Africa's team. You know, Quebec are, are basically the kind of spirit of the team. Um, but for me, that really did open my eyes. And I think you're really, really right to to have the world championships in Africa to get for other people to get a real sense of how, uh, firstly, how hard it is of the, the kind of hardships that, um, that just generally people can, the living conditions, the access to kind of sports and stuff like that. Um, it was quite, quite overwhelming, mate. And I'll never really forget it, but, but what a wonderful thing Quebec is to to give opportunities uh, to kids, um, you know, in those, in those, in the townships. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess that's one of the things that really moves us as a team, you know, um, you know, basically racing for greater purpose. And we, I mean, we, we are a high performance team, you know, um, that, that obviously race to change people's lives in Africa. And basically, um, you know, but just by basically putting people on bicycles and, and just making a difference in, um, in, in, in obviously everything that we do. And obviously, just um, you know, going up um, uh, some of the the toughest mountains in Europe, and basically thinking to yourself, why, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, yeah. it basically goes back to the to the why's why we're we doing this. Um, you know, because we're basically ch- changing people's lives, and we're basically suffering for a greater purpose. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, Quebec will always be a part of our DNA, and uh, yeah, and just being able to change people's lives is uh, something incredibly uh, special to us and I think we can all be happy about. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, like you've said now, um, it's you, I mean, it's just an experience you'll never forget about, you know, like yeah. just being able to see uh, the township and, um, and how happy the kids are when they receive the bicycles. And, yeah. um, you know, like imagine in, in Europe, you know, I mean, kids start riding a bicycle at maybe six or maybe even younger. Yeah. Whereas in South Africa, you know, you'd find a person only starting to ride at 14, you know, only because they they obviously could never afford a bike or never had the opportunity to to get on a bicycle, you know. So um, it's some of the the cool things you basically get to to experience and and see these kids, um, you know, learning to ride bicycles. And um, and obviously that changes their, 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 their life as well. You know, they basically get to to have a lot of time to play off the school and um, and I think um, just looking at the stats, you know, the the number of absentee at the school has basically decreased. You know, wow. So um, you can basically see like it it, it, it is has it, it actually has a big impact. Yeah. Um, on education in South Africa. Right. It, it, it's a phenomenal project. And if uh, any of you listening to this podcast with me and Nick, I kind of, um, it's worth look, just look up Quebecer on the, uh, on the internet uh, and just look at some of the work. There's a lot of videos on there as well to give you an insight into what's being done. And the charity continues to, um, as you said, make, make a real difference. So, and, and also relatively speaking in terms of um, you know, the, the money that it costs to actually buy one of these bikes, Relatively speaking, on by European standards, they are quite cheap, but they make so much of a difference to these kids' lives, don't they? Um, no, you know, what is it, 150 pounds or something to, to actually get one of these bikes, which you know um, isn't uh, that much. You know, it's it's they're they're relatively cheap, but like you say, massively life changing. No, they are. They, I mean, they they're very cheap. I think it could actually even be less than uh, 150 pounds. I think it's 150 dollars, uh, isn't it? It's 150 dollars. I think it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, a person can, I think, um, a person can actually buy a part as well, um, instead of buying the whole bike. Yeah. Just sort of like buy a part and then um, some of that actually feeds into uh, Quebecer. So, um, yeah, you know, all the, 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 the small the difference that um, each and everyone can make basically um, changes uh, a lot of people's lives. Well, what we'll do, um, we're, and no doubt um, our producer Niall is writing this down, we'll, we'll stick a link um, in um, in the podcast and when, when we post it on social media so people can click through and have a look a, a little bit about what Quebec is all about, although I, I'd imagine a lot of our listeners already know. Now, Nick, what we're going to do now, we're going to change tact ever so slightly. Uh, now, obviously, you're, you're, you're from Cape Town. Um, I don't know. I would imagine you, or, or nearby anyway, um, every guest on the Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast um, has a quiz, and it's the Cape Town quiz. So, uh, drum roll, please. It is the Cape Town quiz. The Cape Town quiz. The Cape Town quiz. Now it's time. The Cape Town quiz. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. We've had a few very puzzled guests thinking, what the hell was that? But that was Niall yeah. flexing his his jingle muscles. I thought that was a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, normally, I normally hear um, or actually listen to a lot of quizzes um, on the radio when I'm driving in the morning or in the, in the, in the afternoons, you know, when you're basically sitting on traffic listening to some quizzes. Uh, it's really cool. Good stuff. Well, you, I hope you got your quiz hat on because I've got four questions for you which I've carefully researched over the, <laughs> over this afternoon, all about Cape Town. Some of, them are, some of them are a little bit tangential, but there's four questions. But don't worry too much, Nick, because I won't put you on the spot. They're all multiple choice, okay? So okay. If, in, if in doubt, you can relax and, and have a little bit of a guess. So here we go. Right. Stay focused, Nick. Question number one. The African or Cape or the South African penguin, like all penguins, is completely flightless, okay? But my question to you, Nick, is what colour marking does it have just around its eyes? So the South African penguin has a really particular coloured marking around its eyes just before its beak. Is it A, orange? Is it B, pink? Is it C, yellow? Or is it D, red? So I'm, I'm testing, Nick, your knowledge of penguins. <laughs> That's a good one. I think, um, ah, is it, I think it's kind of orange. Is that, know, orange. It's, it's, is, that, is that your answer? Yeah, well, it's between yellow and orange. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, a, it's actually pink. Pink? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's pink <laughs> and I... Uh, what I'll do, Nick, later on, well, if I can be bothered, but I, I might send you a picture of one, uh, and it is definitely pink. But I guess from a distance, unless you get I, I really look it cool. up. Have yeah, a look. I look it up, yeah. yeah. I actually stay, I stay um, about 15 kilometers away from where they are, actually, in some in, in Summerstown in Boulders. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, what would be lovely um, in the next week or so, if you're out training, uh, if you could take a picture of you and a penguin, we could have that for social media, mate. That'd be wonderful. I'm actually <laughs> going to do that. I'm, I'm going to go find them. <laughs> go, go for it, mate. That, that would be absolutely wonderful. Right. Okay. Not too bad a start. You were nearly there with orange and yellow, and I can see it's quite an easy mistake to make. But next up, question number two. Okay. 
Cape Town has numerous sister cities spread throughout the world, including ones in Germany, Burundi, Turkey, and Sweden, for example. But how many sister cities in total are there? Is it A, 16, B, 17, C, 18, or D, 19 sister cities spread throughout the world? Sister cities. Jeepers. So kind of like, twi- like, twin, like twin cities, basically, is another way of putting yeah. it, isn't it? That, that's, that's something new. So that's actually good. I'm actually learning quite a lot in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with 19, man. I'm going to go with 19. I just have to, I just have to you know, trust my gut here. Cause I, think, <laughs> I think it's always good to trust your gut sometimes. Mate, it's wrong, but you're only one out. It's 18. 18. 18. Sorry, mate. 18. Uh, you, you were close. You're only one out, mate. But you got a chance to redeem yourself. Okay, for a bonus point, Nick, which country has the most? Because there's a couple of countries. Well, there's one country with four twin cities. If, if you can guess the country that has four twin cities, I'll give you a bonus point. I'll give you a clue. It's a very, very, very big country. Okay. So just guess a country that has four twin cities without going on Google. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big country. Good. I mean, I mean it's it's big. Um, I have to bring up my geography, geography skills now. Yeah. Um, Take your time, mate. There's no rush. Let me see from the map. So I'm going to say... Um, <laughs> I love the way you're working this out, mate. And, you, and it's good. It's important that you get. You want to get off the. You want to get on the scoreboard, don't you? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to, to sort of like uh, have the map, like within within my brain. You know, it's so quick and picture and think of uh, uh, biggest country. <laughs> um, can't be Australia, is it? Australia is quite big. It's Australia is very big. It's not Australia. Um, I'm going to give you the answer. It was China. 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 Yeah. (laughs) China has four twin cities, and I'm going to read them out to you. It has Hangzhou. It has Huangshan. It has Shenzhen, and it has Wuhan. There you go, mate. Which, again, you learn something every day on the Matt Stevens podcast. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, cheers. Um, I mean, the, the, those those names sound like just uh, names that uh, a person would just come up with it. And also, interestingly, United States has three. So Atlanta, um, Houston, and Miami are all twinned with Cape Town. But anyway, moving along to question number three. Okay. Um, how many colors are there, Nick, in the logo of Cape Town. Logo okay. of Cape Town? Yeah. Cape Town has a very, it's a very beautiful logo. I'm looking at it right now. Um, does it have, and it's made, it looks like a flower, basically. Um, but my question to you is how many colours does it have? Is it A3, B4, C5, or C6? Man, I, 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 feel, I feel like I've never lived in Cape Town. <laughs> I don't even know Cape Town has got a logo. <laughs> it, all do you know, all it, all it looks... What I'm about riding is just, um, you know, uh, political 
boards um, and political parties. Right. <laughs> I didn't even know that Cape, Cape Town had a logo until I did some research today. It does look quite modern, though, so it might be something new, you know. Okay. So, uh, so the options was four? It was th- the options were three, four, five, or six, um, and it's it's like a flower basically with these colours in. Uh, five. The answer is six. <laughs> oh, <God>. mm. <laughs> oh, mate. Okay. Uh, mate, I think they've been quite hard questions. You've never been very. You, all your wrong answers have only been like one digit away, mate. So don't you don't worry. Final question on the Cape Town quiz is this question number four. Table Mountain, of course, beautiful Table Mountain overlooks Cape Town. But what is the nickname of the thin strip of cloud that often settles over the mountain? Okay, is it called Table Drape, Table Sheath, Table Cloth? Or table curtain. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the locals in, ta- in Cape Town apparently call it this one thing. Um, so it's not officially, it's just, you know, amongst all the locals in Cape Town, this thin strip of cloud that you see settle across the top of the mountain is called table drape, table sheath, table cloth, or table curtain. Table cloth. It's a table, isn't it? Correct. Oh. Correct. Yay. Oh. Nick, Nick Lamini redeems himself uh, in the, well, just as the final whistle goes, you scored a point there, mate. So it's not bad. You got one out of four. So not too bad at all, mate. Well done. I think it was a good uh, learning session. Indeed. I always like to, I mean, I learn a lot and generally my guest learns a lot as well. Um, but um, I'm glad you enjoyed that, mate. Thank you very much indeed. Right. Okay. Thanks to you. I'm actually going to ch- check the the, low, the Cape Town logo out as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's very, very, very modern. It's very modern. Um, right. Let's go back in time a little bit, Nick. Um, let's go all the way back. I just want to, I want people to kind of understand a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Um, cause you really have kind of broken through. Um, now what was life like in, um, in the Capricorn park townships? I mean, I know, um, it was, it was very tough, uh, really tough upbringing for you, but what I'd like to understand a little bit about and share with people, if you wouldn't mind, is what it was like growing up in the township and how ultimately you ended up riding a bike and ended up now talking to me and riding in the world tour because it's quite a journey. Um, she's mad. It's it's honestly obviously quite a difficult journey. Yeah. Um, you know, just being able to you know come from a township and race on the highest level is like obviously quite uh, something special. Yeah. But I mean, you know, growing up uh, in a township um, was really hard. You know, obviously, um, you know, at the time my mom was the only person that was working. Um, to basically feed the whole family, and um, and she didn't earn much, you know, she didn't earn much, and I remember we sort of like um, come come back from school, um, we haven't we haven't eaten, you know, and basically go stand where the where we would be able to see the the taxi coming into Capricorn Park, um, and my mom would sort of get uh, get off on the first um, on the first stop. Um, so it basically sits a few hundred meters from then to and watch basically every taxi coming in. 
um, until we see her and sort of like go running to her because we we know some of the um, some of the places where she worked she, where she was working um, would maybe give her leftover food um, right. especially wow. like on a Monday you know um, some would maybe had a braai over the weekend a barbecue. Yeah. And she sort of bring uh, the leftovers. So we'd be really excited to sort of uh, dig into that and, um, you know, basically have something to eat. Wow. Um, but also, I mean, we basically have um, nights where we go to bed without eating, you know. And um, and it's, it's something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, open uh, to, to speak about because it basically has changed who I am today and how I see things, you know. Um, I think you also just grow stronger when you've been in that situation and obviously having to go to training with an empty stomach, you know, and, um, you know, I just simply enjoyed doing sport, um, going out for a run or going out um, for a quick cycle on an empty stomach and, you know, and I'd maybe stop along the way and, um, you know, basically have these things, these things growing from the trees called the, the num num fruit. Right. And, um, you know, I basically ride and then when I start uh, feeling like I'm bonking and I stop and eat those just to, to regain a bit of energy um, and basically go back home. Wow. But, um, yeah, and obviously my sister and I were, were, were quite um, valuable at school because we, we were both uh, top runners at school. So the school was actually relying on us. Okay. To basically get um, a lot of points. Um, so, I mean, we, my mom never really had to pay school fees, you know, because uh, we, we were the, one of the best at school and um, we basically get um, everything for free. And, uh, and in high school, we basically had um, um, a scholarship where everything was paid for. And um, so, yeah, I mean, my mom didn't even have to go find a school for us. So we're still in grade five. And um, one high school was already, you know, onto us. You know, the, these two athletes are coming to our high school when they um, finish primary school. So, yeah, I sort of uh, saved my mom quite a lot of work of having to find um, a good um, high school for us. Right. And, um, and obviously just having to, to make the transition from uh, running to, to, to cycling, you know. And obviously joining Velokaya, um, you know, basically sleeping on a container before a race and then eating a sandwich uh, with peanut butter and going to the race uh, the next morning, you know. So um, those are basically some of the, the tough challenges we had. And, um, you know, and obviously now looking back at um, all those things, it actually, I, I do actually, you know, feel really happy that um, I was in that situation and I've overcome it. Yeah. And, um, you know, um yeah, I think it just, uh, you know, it just changes one's um, way, ways of thinking and, and just appreciating things, you know. And um, and I'm also very grateful that I'm obviously spending a lot of time in Europe, racing in Europe, um, because I think um, you sort of um, grow really strong from that. You know, I remember the first um, the first year when I when I became a world tour rider, when I actually had to do my own visas and sort of like, um, travel to, to the airport, you know, the first couple of months was super stressful because, yeah. you know, and the Continental team, we were basically at the privilege where everything was done for us and then the world was sort of uh, to do some of the things yourself. Yeah. So the first couple of months was very stressful, you know, and um, 
I really did it. I really didn't enjoy it because I was thinking, how how am I going to do this? I've never traveled alone, uh, let alone that um, this is actually Europe. I don't know how things work. But um, yeah, I think in, in just a space of three months, like I basically grew really quick, and um, you know, I basically found my feet and I was able to do everything on my own. And um, yeah, and obviously just coming back to the township, and I, I still go to the township quite often, you know, yeah. and uh, see um, what what's happening. And um, you know, obviously Capricorn Park is a small township. And, you know, there's actually quite uh, quite a lot of kids that are actually waiting for me to, to start a cycling club. Right, uh, okay. Which, which is something I'd, lo- I'd love to do. I'd really love to do. Um, and obviously, it changed their lives as well and, and, and actually share my experience with them. But, um, you know, um, with timing and, uh, and obviously spending a lot of time in Europe, I don't think um, I'm, I'm in that uh, position to sort of, um, you know, uh, commit to something like that yet. Um, and obviously still having my career at hand, you know, sort of, um, but it, it is something uh, I'd maybe look more into, you know, um, when I eventually stop cycling sure. and, uh, you know, come back and uh, try and get um, all these guys out and, uh, you know, and explore their talent and get them out there and, uh, and let them be seen, you know. And, um, yeah, and basically you just have a lot of um, black athletes, um, out there, you know, because I always believe. I mean, we were we were never meant to lack at anything, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we basically have to use whatever opportunity we get, and um, and basically strive to to become whatever we want to be. Yeah. I mean, do you think that? Um, and it's worth giving a shout out as well. I think is it somebody called, was it somebody called Jeff at Capricorn Cycles who helped you with your first kind of racing bike back in the day, wasn't it? That's correct. Yes, uh, Jeff. Um, Jeff um, Male- Malena. Um, so he basically had his own little business in Capricorn Park where he was fixing uh, people's bicycles. Yeah. Um, so he basically give us, and, and he, he had a few bicycles, secondhand bicycles he was selling. So those were the bikes we basically had to um, borrow and basically go out on. You know, it, it may not have been the, the perfect size, but at least you, you you had a bike at home, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember. I you know I just, when when I when I went there, I didn't obviously have um, the the money to pay up front for okay. the joining fee, you know. Um, so what I did was I'd go there every day after school and go help him with the bicycles, and obviously having to pack them into the container um, in the evening when he's done working, and then um, and then yeah, one afternoon he was like, I've got I've got a bike for you. And I was really excited, like, wow. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, so I got, I got my bike and uh, went home, uh, gave me a cycling kit, and uh, and off I went, you know, it was really exciting. <laughs> and I remember I had, to, I had to sort of negotiate with my mom. Um, so I told her, look, I've, I've actually got a bike. I've actually joined the cycling team. Um, so I'm going to have a bike at home. Um, is it okay if I sort of store it in a bathroom? You know, our house was really small. It was a one-bedroom house. Um so I basically stored in the bathroom, you know. And right. Took a lot of space in the bathroom, but wow. um, yeah, there was basically the only place I could actually um, put my bike on. Um, wow. Yeah. So um, and you know, I, I, when I started, actually, I started with a friend of mine called Audra, and you know, we basically got our, got our bikes on the same day, and after a day, he had to take his bike back because his parents had told him that. Um, 
you know, cycling is a dangerous sport. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of cars on the road and um, they didn't want him, um, you know, basically sharing the road with cars. And um, so their parents came and uh, you know, spoke to my mom to find, to find out and, um, and, and, and see what she, what she thought about it. And my mom basically told them, look, I mean, if, if, they, if this is what they want to do, you know, despite it being dangerous, if it is what they want to do, I think it's better we let them do it, you know, and um, and actually felt quite happy, you know, because I wanted to do cycling, sure. you know, and, um, and, and get to explore Cape Town. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Jen, obviously, her giving me the opportunity and the go-ahead to, to um, get on cycling, I think that was uh, uh, pretty cool. And um, yeah, I mean, look, a few years later, you know, racing on the highest level of cycling, uh, living in Europe, I think, um, yeah, I couldn't have uh, chosen a better sport to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's, it's interesting you just said, you know, obviously you wanted to race at some point, but first and foremost, when you get a bike as a young kid and, and you were a kid that was a little bit older, um, the first thing you want to do is explore, isn't it? Is explore where you live, go a little bit further than you've ever been before, especially, you know, living in a township. So I think first and foremost for you, I would imagine – just exploring and that sense of freedom must have been really, really liberating for you. No, no, it has. I mean, the, 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 I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, you know, um, so so a friend of mine that that was cycling. Um, obviously, when he comes back and we sort of um, sit around his friends on weekends, he tell us that he saw baboons um, while he was out riding. <laughs> right. and, you know, so a township obviously is very small, yeah, and you only get to go to school and come back and and that's it you don't get to explore uh, much out of the township because obviously right. we don't have the transport to sort of like go to Chapman's Peak or go to Boulder and see all these things yeah so being able to ride a bike obviously allowed you to basically be able to see those things so I thought you know it would be nice to actually um, join the cycling thing and be able to see baboons as well <laughs> so, um, yeah, when I eventually got my bike, I was like, "Cool, let's uh, let's go see the baboons." That's that's uh, the that's yeah. the I think that's the best reason, uh, Nick, I've ever heard to go and ride yeah. your bike. I want to go and see the baboons for God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we went there and we saw the baboons. I was like, "Okay, this is really cool." And on school holiday, we basically train in the morning. I mean, we weren't training crazy hours then. An hour and a half to Summerstown and back was enough. Yep, out in the morning, and then we sort of. Um, relax the whole day and then in the in the afternoon we start getting bored and then we sort of think you know why don't we go out again and then we sort of go out but um yeah i think for anyone that has as you know has seen the kids in, in, in townships and obviously the, how i grew up as well um the, the the coolest thing you'd be able to see is um how the, the willingness to share yeah um from the kids in the townships you know like sharing is, is a big thing yeah. So you basically see like they, you sometimes have that one um, one youngster that uh, obviously may, or maybe her parents are, are well off um, and they'd buy him a bicycle and then there'd maybe be like seven guys or maybe up to ten guys that would be sharing this bicycle. So you basically take the bike and you quickly go do a, do a two-minute lap and then come back and then another one t- has his turn. <laughs> Yeah. So doing that, you know, and um, that you could see like brought joy um, to all these kids. 
And whenever I go to to the township, it's it's something I still witness, you know. And I actually um, think it's really cool, just that willingness to share and you know have everyone uh, riding bicycles. Uh, it it is it's a it's wonderful to hear those stories about how just how how simple a tool the bicycle is, you know, and how wonderful an, an invention it is. But how how much difference it can make to people's lives, you know, especially as a young kid, and then obviously subsequent to that the opportunities and as you've described like going to school even getting even going to work and seeing new places it is it is really really special i mean there's there's one other thing nick before we, we've already been chatting for for well over an hour but um obviously last year on on multiple levels the world was a tumultuous place wasn't it covid-19 was one thing and then we had political upheaval in in many many places including of course the awful um awful killing of of, of george floyd which has changed um, and opened a lot of people's eyes to um, to issues around race, as we as we well know. And I was just wondering. And there's been a lot of attitudes within our own industry that have changed. Um, some, I think, there's a lot of work, a massive amount of work still to be done. But as as a as a black man riding in the pro peloton, you are a minority. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on the way the cycling industry, or do you think the cycling industry is doing enough? Um, and are you kind of satisfied with what the cycling industry is doing, basically, um, in the light of obviously what happened last year? Which is, you know, it's a shame that we've had had such an awful event to actually open people's eyes. But that is the bottom line. That is that is what's happened, and there has been change. But what what are your thoughts on that? Um, it, it's quite it's quite a it's quite a sad thing to to um, to see. You yep. know, and, um, I think I mean everyone should be obviously treated the same and. You know, color. I mean, color shouldn't be anything that sort of like really separates anyone. You know, and um, especially when it comes to cycling, because um, I mean, it's, it's it's a very diverse sport. Yeah. So um, you know, obviously having guys coming from Colombia, Africa, or racing into or racing in Europe. You know, and um, you know, basically because we we're basically doing the same thing and um, racing the same distance. I think that should that alone should be enough, you know, um, in sort of like bringing the awareness. But um, you know, just obviously looking at from uh, from um, a different perspective, you know, I think it also goes back to uh, who you are and um, you know the amount of respect you sort of uh, earn in within the peloton, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I've seen, I've seen uh, I've seen obviously a few a few things. Which um, which I never really uh, take note um, when obviously they they're happening. But um, as to myself, like I've never really encountered any um, racial uh, issue, you know. Okay. But I think also, um, yeah, I think I, I I know quite a lot of guys uh, within the peloton, and I think it's also how you come across to people. Um, I remember when when I was doing a stagiaire ride. Uh, in twenty uh, late twenty seventeen, uh, in Burgos, and um, my sign was actually announced. Um, I think on the second or the third day of Burgos. Yeah. And I had a lot of guys um, congratulating me. You know. Sure. Hello, and I didn't. I, I didn't know the guys. You know, I, 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 some of them I've watched on TV. I've seen on TV. But um, it was really cool to see them uh, congratulating me um, for my signing. It sort of made me feel welcome into the peloton. You know, um, and since then, you know, um, yeah, I've always um, somehow had a pretty special place in the peloton. 
And um, and obviously, I think you'd know, like, um, when it comes to racing, um, to be in front in, in the peloton, obviously, not everyone can be there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of pushing around. Um, if the guys feel like you can't really handle the bike, they'll sort of, like, push you and sort of, like, send you to the back. You know, and um, obviously, throughout my development, uh, yes, I've been able to, to race in front and um, race next to the, you know, big names. Where I just look next to to um, where I'm riding, and I think, okay, she's um, is a big name next to me, and I think, okay, maybe I need to you know make way so that he actually can sort of go through. Um, but um, you know, just being there, like uh, no one has pushed me or have done anything. You know, even though like I've seen these things happening to some of the riders, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I've sort of um, not really got got gotten away with it, but um, I think I've been uh, in in a, in a in a good position when it comes to that, but um, yeah, it is something um, that shouldn't be tolerated uh, within the sport, within the teams uh, themselves. I think um, yeah, there's obviously a gap that still need to be um, closed down and obviously uh, make the sport a, a better place for uh, each and everyone. Nick. It's uh, yeah, wise words, mate, and it has been a real pleasure to talk to you. As I say, we'll definitely have to do this again, or maybe even a cafe ride when you're back down in London again, because I know you kind of split your time between South Africa, Girona, and also Surrey as well, don't you? So you're a man of the world, you really, really are. But um, we'll definitely have to get a ride in soon, mate. But um, definitely, that that would be a lot of fun. Um, but no, for now, Nick. Um, you take care of yourself, mate. And best of luck in the Tour of the Alps. Cannot wait to see you get up the road. Um, maybe snaffling for a stage win, even the King of the Mountains classification, of which you've already got a few in your career, mate. So, uh, yeah, good good luck in the Tour of the Alps, mate. I shall be watching uh, very, very closely indeed. And um, thanks very much indeed, mate. You've been, you've been great. Thanks for having me, uh, Matt. I really appreciate um, your time and, uh, and having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. What a lovely guy, a real inspiration. And if you feel moved by Nick's dedication and would like to support the excellent Quebecer charity, why not log on to quebecer.org for more information. And Quebecer is spelt Q-H-U-B-E-K-A. Thanks as ever to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast in June. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to a baboon if you happen to see one in the wild on a training ride near Cape Town or East Molesey in Surrey. Finally, a massive thanks again to Nick for joining us on the podcast today and for being so generous with his time. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.